So we'd like to get started, um, uh, just so we have enough time uh, for a lively discussion at the end of the presentation. So for, for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Jean Hoffman, and I'm the Facilities and Sustainability Manager for the City of Madison. I'm in the Engineering Division. And we also have others here that will be presenting, uh, namely Brian Cooper, who is an architect with the City of Madison. We also have Natalie Erdman, who I'm sure all of you know, but she's the uh, Interim Director of the Planning and Community and Economic Development Department, and also Rob Phillips, City Engineer, and my boss. So um, <laughs> today we would like to uh, talk to the Alders um, again about a very important project, namely the building right behind you, the Madison Municipal Building. And for some of you, um, we're going to take a step back and talk about the history of the city and that building, and then also talk about what we have done in terms of studying it and our recommendations for moving forward um, uh, regarding that very important building. So today, again, we're going to talk about the history and some previous um, uh, improvements that have been made to the building uh, over the years. We did a, a con condition study in uh, 2013. We also looked at what other uh, cities do regarding community engagement in their city halls. Um, we're going to touch, touch on that. We're going to touch on all of the pre-design work that we did, which is going to lead us to how we can utilize the Madison Municipal Building in an efficient and effective way for city staff, visitors, and the community. We also took a step back and looked at, we recognize that an investment in this building across the street is a significant one for the city. And are there ways to do that investment um, more economically? And I think what you're going to find uh, through that cost analysis that we have done is that we literally haven't really spent any money on that building in 40 plus years and there are very limited inexpensive options to fix what needs to be done across the street. Uh, we also have Natalie here to talk about the real estate angle of the project. We recognize that this is again a significant investment for the community and we want to be able to answer the question what if we left MMB and built something else, what would that look like? And what is the value of that building across the street? What is the value in terms of a real estate transaction? But also what is the value in terms of its civic character, character and its importance as it relates to the CCB and um, Martin Luther King Boulevard? And finally, um, we're going to make a recommendation on how to proceed into the next phase of study. So starting way back when John Nolan first looked at how to organize the city of Madison, the map up there with the circle 
is John Nolan's plan. And the, the, also the diagram in the middle is John Nolan's plan. So it was envisioned from the very beginning of the city of Madison that the Capitol and the lake along what was then known as Monona Drive was going to be the heart of the community in terms of its civic identity. And you can see where the Madison Municipal Building sits in relation to that, to that Nolan vision. At the same time, the federal government was undertaking a building boom of federal buildings across the country. And the um, federal architect, James Knox Taylor, designed what is the Madison Municipal Building behind us, but he designed many buildings just like it. And there are, there's a building like this in Pennsylvania, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, in Grand Junction, Colorado, of different sizes, but they all have the same neoclassical design as the Madison Municipal Building across the street. And it was done purposefully. The whole point of, of this design was to serve as, as it says there, to promote the concept of government buildings that should be monumental and beautiful. So the whole point of the federal government building these buildings across the country was to invoke democracy and uh, civil architecture in our cities. So now we're gonna zoom in. This is a fairly modern picture. You can see how the Madison Municipal Building relates to the city county building. And just to note, we have seven different divisions and departments across the street in the Madison Municipal Building with approximately 180 employees. And, and here in this building, we have 14 different city departments and divisions with over 500 city employees. And of course, in between these two buildings is Martin Luther King Boulevard, a civic plaza that is used for a lot of events. And the proximity of these two buildings and the synergy that, that, that happens between agencies and for our customers is something that needs to be recognized. So now we focus in on the actual Madison Municipal Building. And again, we go back to uh, the federal architect, James Knox Taylor, who, interestingly enough, was not an architect. He was a lawyer. So I think Mike May might find that to be a very interesting tidbit. Uh, but again, the Federal, uh, Federal Building Act, again, is uh, you know, um, putting buildings with this neoclassical design throughout the country, again, to bring government to the people. And of course, this building is now registered as a national, state, and local landmark. And at the bottom here, we see what the square footage of the building is. Um, without the annex, it's 72,500 square feet, and with the annex in the back, 79,000 square feet. And as I just mentioned with the addition, the annex in the back, where we currently have meeting rooms, uh, a portion of housing operations is in that space, was added in the 1940s. And in the early 80s, just after the city purchased the building, there was a major remodel of the basement and first floor. And this picture is actually from the 80s, when, right when the building was complete with that renovation, and this is a view of what is now the front door of housing operations. So um, we have done some things to the building when they break. We had to replace the elevator, 
because it broke. We had to increase the amount of electrical feed going to the second floor because we got to the point where you couldn't plug anything more in without blowing a circuit. But for the last 40 years, we haven't done hardly anything to that building, and it shows. The mechanical system is way beyond its useful life. Um, the picture up in the corner of the frayed wire is original copper wiring that up until very recently was still being used, wrapped in cloth, and one could argue very warm. We have gone in and replaced some of those because they are a, a very, fairly significant um, fire hazard. But the building is in desperate need of, of, a, of some investment. So one of the other things that we did in the past is looked at what other cities do with their city halls. And we have a couple of examples here for you. The city of Philadelphia, they use their city hall as a place to program uh, cultural, educational, uh, international events. This picture of dancing is actually taking place just outside the mayor's office where they do programming like this often. Uh, the picture below is from the city of Seattle where they use, in essence, a lobby and a circulating staircase for impromptu programming. And even our neighbor, uh, the city of Milwaukee, does a very interesting programming with their city hall where they partner a poet with an aldermanic candidate and they do a event in city hall where um, they do a, a debate and the poets will uh, write poetry based on the aldermanic, the, um, the positions that the alder takes. So it's kind of like an aldermanic poetry slam. Um, maybe we could do that here sometime. So what we also have done is uh, worked with MSR Design on a pre-design work for the, um, both MMB and CCB. And for some of you, uh, you, you went to a lot of the meetings that we had with MSR Design. And for others, um, we'd like to be able to take you through some of the work that we did during that pre-design. So first of all, because of the significance of how many city staff are between these two buildings, it was really important for us to take a step back and understand the relationships between the different agencies in both buildings, how our customers are accessing service, are we making our customers run back and forth, run up and down just because? Can we figure out a way to make it easier for them? And so we did a lot of looking at, at how our, our adjacencies with different city agencies could be um, improved. We also looked at how um, agencies are designed and making it clear from the get-go, from when you walk in, where the public needs to go and where the public doesn't need to go. And as I don't know how many of you have heard from city staff, but there certainly are security issues in both of these buildings. And many of them can be addressed through good design. And so the picture here on the corner um, can show how you can have very clear areas where the public goes, very clear areas where um, maybe city staff and the public will meet, but also very clear areas where, where we have our city staff and they can feel safe. 
So we don't have people coming in and walking all the way through someone's um, cubicle um, when it's just not secure. The other thing that we did during the pre-design is looked at the plaza between these two buildings and how can we uh, utilize the plaza to its fullest potential. And obviously, we do use the plaza a lot for a number of different events, farmers markets, uh, music events, sporting events, but is there a way to make it even more easy to um, have events um, more spur of the moment, um, have um, uh, 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 breakout areas within the plaza that could lend itself for maybe not a, a formal event, but uh, a more gathering space for, for the community. So we looked at some of those uh, concepts. We also did a thorough look of the Madison Municipal Building as it relates to its historic nature. So there are some elements of the building that have never really been altered, and we would look to restore them. Other areas that have been altered where we can um, still improve the space and make it more efficient, but we wouldn't necessarily need to bring it to a level of, of restoring it. As an example, the very first image that was on this presentation was a picture of room 260. That room is uh, actually noted in the National Registry uh, record, and it's a very important building, so a very important room, and that is a room that we would look at restoring to its full potential. There are other spots, like the lower level and first floor, where we don't necessarily need to restore them, but we certainly want to work to make them more efficient and um, easy to navigate for both visitors and, frankly, staff. And finally, uh, we also did a lot of work looking at the energy efficiency and sustainability aspects of the building. And we can achieve a great level of energy efficiency in that building. And I think it can be a model for the community um, and we can really show the results of reducing our energy usage and hopefully even look at other types of technology um, along the, to, keep, to bring the building into a, a LEED compliance, for example. So as we work on the design of the Madison Municipal Building, it's, an, it's a very iterative process. And we keep asking more questions and gathering more information, talking to the policymakers, stakeholder groups, the community, to figure out what are the what are what are the things that we're really trying to achieve from redoing from fixing the building? How can we stay on budget? What are the adjacencies for the agencies? And how is this all going to get packaged together? And what we're trying to get to is the middle of that of that uh, diagram. And um, through the program, we, we gather a lot of information. So this is also work that MSR Designs did for us. They reached out to all city staff in these two buildings and had them fill out uh, very long surveys, <laughs> but it was very good information that we gathered. We also interviewed every single department and division numerous times. We met with our core team to help kind of drive the project. 
We obviously touched base with the mayor on a regular basis through the executive team, and we also had several working sessions with the Common Council. And this is just an example of one page of, of a survey that we, we conducted with city leaders and staff. We also talked to the community, and we did a lot of talking to the community. We met with business groups. We met with, we met with um, the homeless. We met with homeless advocates. We met with social workers. We met with the development community. We met with neighborhood associations. We met with Wanda. We met with any, everyone. And we got a lot of inf great information from these meetings. And it, what was really interesting to me about meeting with all of these groups is there wasn't one group that said, don't spend money on investing in that building. Actually, I take that back. There was one group, and that was Smart Growth Madison, and they wanted <laughs> to put the building back on the property tax roll. Um, but everybody else um, recognized the, the need to invest in the Madison Municipal Building. So what were the key, some of the key outcomes of that pre-design effort? And I think the first thing is, is um, we, are, we can achieve high-quality workspace for our employees in that building with access to natural light. I think a lot of times people go over there, they walk around the first floor, they're up on the second floor, and it looks impossible to achieve. But it is a beautiful old building with wonderful bones, and we can achieve really nice uh, workspace for our employees. Obviously, we already talked about the importance of Room 260, and we recognize that importance and the importance of, of restoring it. We also recognize the importance that we need to create additional meeting rooms for um, internal meetings, but also for city commissions and committees. And I think, I think if we do the design right, we can utilize the building to its fullest potential. So Room 260, and our other meeting rooms won't be just for city committees and commissions. They could also be and possibly be places where you could do cultural, educational events, um, a, a health fair for uh, community for certain communities in the in the in the community, for instance. Um, all sorts of events that could happen in the, in the building. We also recognize the importance of the building, where it is, and um, in relation to the plaza and this building, that kind of civic placemaking that can really take place in the building, in the plaza. And um, we definitely recognize that currently over there, there's just some barriers of how people access our services. Um, I am over there quite a bit, and there are oftentimes people wandering the lobby. Where do I get a building permit? <laughs> and it's just, it's not a very intuitive to get around that building, and we can certainly fix that. Um, I think also we recognize and can achieve a balance between the historic uh, restoration of certain aspects of the building Another key place would be the exterior of the second and third floor. Um, but we can also build a building that is modern, contemporary, will work for the long term, be flexible, um, 
that can change as technology changes, change as our um, daily work with the agencies change. Um, we also looked at a number of different ways to achieve sustainable goals. We are using energy modeling to look at basically being able to choose exactly what we do on the building in terms of insulation, mechanical systems, if we, uh, what kind of lighting systems we use. Uh, for instance, LED lights have come a long way very recently, and you can save an incredible amount of energy um, in lighting design, as an example. We also are, uh, have developed a historic preservation strategy. Again, mentioned uh, the mechanical design approach, and we've established a number of guiding principles that we'll take with us through the entire um, program, project. So before we start talking about the three option study, I want to recognize again that this is a significant amount of dollars. We definitely recognize that. We recognize um, that this project exists in a capital budget. We recognize that there are lots of projects that um, need to be weighed and sifted. And one of the reasons why we did this three-option three study was to really look carefully at how we could do this project in different ways and what would that cost and ultimately what uh, engineering's recommendation is to move forward. So Ed, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Brian. Hi. Um, so I'm going to throw cold water on with the cost. Um, yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, my name is Brian Cooper. I, I work in a facilities group with Gene in the engineering division. Thank you, Michael. Um, so, so we did it earlier this year. It was in February. We, uh, the city staff team, uh, the design team, and an estimator uh, looked at three different options, uh, possibilities at the Madison Municipal Building in terms of um, how to make it so that it is uh, a pleasant and safe place to work for years to come. Uh, we went from a very basic approach, which is option one, uh, which primarily just addressed the mechanical and the exterior of the building, uh, and progressively got more advanced to a full rehabilitation, which is option three. Uh, in between there, we looked at how could we get to a full rehabilitation, but potentially do that through two phases. Uh, like a couple general notes about all the options, um, or actually two of the three, the, the option one and option two, uh, there was some uh, assumption or maybe hope that going into the, this study that potentially we could, with those two options, the first two options, we could keep some of the staff uh, in the building, potentially reducing some relocation uh, and temporary housing costs. Uh, I think the team unanimously determined that uh, at the end of that the study period that uh, due to the sort of intertwining of the hazardous materials throughout the building with the, the existing uh, elements of the building, that, that probably wouldn't be a prudent uh, path forward. Also, just the mere fact that the mechanical, electrical, plumbing items are so intertwined with everything else in the building that it would be an extremely disruptive endeavor to try to maintain staff in the, in the property uh, while it was being uh, worked on. So uh, these are uh, purposely uh, diagrammatic uh, images. Um, this is <coughs> option one. Uh, the major uh, thrust of this option is to 
uh, address the roof, so the green parts are um, replacement of the roof. The blue parts represent um, tuck pointing and addressing any masonry rest, uh, restoration issues at the exterior, as well as uh, restoration of the uh, historic windows on levels two and three. Um, and then in the interior, the primary uh, elements that would be addressed in this option would be the mechanical, electrical, plumbing, fire protection, and fire alarm system. So try to bring this building to current day code as in regards to those elements. Um, what it would not address uh, is primarily any changes to the staffing organization in the building as it is right now. Um, so if you were to go, if you were to come back uh, after this, this option was completed, uh, you would see staff that uh, is in their current locations uh, in the same locations uh, as well as um, uh, so from basement all the way to level three. There would be a little bit of interior work that would need to be addressed due to the fact that it's just highly disruptive to try to replace that many systems without uh, addressing some of the finishes as well. Um, another major exclusion would be uh, a lead accreditation on a project like this. Um, the next option is uh, option two. Uh, again, that's a... The estimator is uh, Middleton Construction Consulting. That's a good question. Um, Tom Middleton is the owner of the company. Um, I can't remember how many years. It was well into the teens that he used to work for J.P. Cullen as their low-bid um, sort of public works lead estimator and also for Findorf. So he has a lot of experience in the public hard, called hard bid realm where you, it's a design and then you bid it and then you build it sort of realm. So, yep. um, option two is a, is a two-phase option. Um, uh, I'll admit when we went into this, we thought maybe there was less we would have to do in, in phase one and it would be potentially maybe more of an even split in terms of cost between the two phases. But uh, once we got into looking at all the different issues associated with um, primarily the mechanical, um, it, it uh, sort of overwhelmingly came very close to a full rehabilitation. So that's why uh, when we get into the cost, you'll see it's very similar to a full rehabilitation. Uh, the phase one is. So again, it uh, addresses all the same issues that I talked about in option one, but the addition, the major addition here is that um, levels two and three would be remodeled uh, to meet current office standards. Um, basement and one would be left uh, unchanged in terms of architectural layout and, and function. Um, just a major exclusions in, in this, just to mention at this time, is that there would be no elite accreditation and uh, with the estimate we have right now, we don't have solar included in this option. Um, so if you get to, if we get to phase two, that, that would be a completion of the full rehabilitation for option two. Um, basement and one would be completed uh, to uh, recognize uh, and complete a full rehabilitation. Again, the major exclusions would be all the work that was already completed in option two, phase one and uh, also lead accreditation and solar PV. So the last option is option three, which is a full rehabilitation. Uh, this would be building on the previous two options um, and it's essentially option two, but all the work would be done in one phase. So meaning all the exterior work, all the mechanical, electrical, plumbing and other life safety issues, 
uh, and remodeling and historic preservation work would all occur in one phase. Um, major exclusions in this as well uh, is our, um, the solar PV and then uh, if the Postal Service and credit union uh, return, um, we would, the city's uh, budget provides the shell of the building, of course, the exterior and some of the mechanical electrical plumbing that we would want to have systems control over, but um, the tenant build out, would, it would be uh, per, their, per their cost. So that's outside of the budget. Um, so in summary form, the uh, option one, and these are just construction costs. This doesn't include the design and or other elements, but the option one is roughly uh, 15 and three quarter million dollars. Uh, option two, phase one is 22 and three quarter million. Option two, phase two, five and, five and three quarter million. And option three would be 23 million. Sorry, yes. Yes. Because of several months ago, in sorry, several months ago in the mayor's office, he was asked he asked the question about option one, which is basically the mechanicals. And is there an option for the mechanicals? Because so, that was a guess. Okay, there was nothing scientific about it, but that was a guess at five million dollars to keep the building going. So where is that option, or doesn't that option exist for very real reasons? Could you just comment on that? Uh, yeah, I think I, I don't know about the $5 million option. I, I know. It was yeah. kind of one of these. But oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I, th I think um, there is these, – these three options here, I think, are essentially options that we, we would pursue um, to provide long-term – Repairs mm -hmm. to the building. I think we. I think there probably is a five million dollar option out there that might be what we would term a band-aid approach to. Um, and that's kind of what Gene was alluding to earlier, which I think is more of the emergency address, emergency address kind of approach, with maybe some a little bit more robust, you know, addressing of certain issues that we know about. Sure. And a second question would be to, if you weren't going to, and perhaps you already answered this because I did have a question for Alder Kimball, so I apologize. Um, if you were going to improve the utility work and, and that sort of thing, you would still need to relocate people to do that? And so what is the additional cost if we would go with option one instead of, I mean, I know it's more money to do option three, but ultimately, yeah. is, there an, is there an increment that it would actually cost more if we did this in phases? And I'm sorry if you already addressed this. Meaning on top of the construction costs? Yeah. yeah let me, let me uh, um, this is kind of a good slide. This isn't option one, but just to kind of address that overall cost. Um, generally on, well, any of the facility projects we work on, but the, the bigger ones, the, these sorts of numbers become a bigger issue. So we try to divide it into four major buckets, which is sort of construction, professional services, which is primarily the architectural and engineering services. Um, sometimes because of particular buildings um, issues, we do have to have a temporary move or um, relocation costs. So in this, this case, we're, we would include that. 
Um, and then there's typically a furnishing fixtures and equipment budget. Um, just as a rule of thumb, um, you would probably take your, your construction costs, so in, in the case of option one, it would be about 15 and three-quarter million, and put a multiplier of roughly 1.3 to 1.4 to determine a sort of a total project cost for something like that. So if you were to do that, you ultimately get to roughly $20 million. Now, of course, once we get into it, you know, it could go down a little bit or up a little bit, but that would be, um, you know, a healthy total project cost for something like option one is to, uh, to safely say that it would be above $20 million total, total project cost. And um, as, as to, in terms of moving, uh, the reason is, is in, in all three of these options, at least the ones we're studying here, um, our recommendation would be that folks have to move given the fact that we would be replacing so many different pieces and parts, even in the most basic of the, of the options. But wouldn't they have to move more than once? Yeah, with, the phase, with, the, with, the, with, phase, or with option one, that would just be a one-phase approach. With option two, there, that was a phased approach, and potentially you would have to move twice or okay. at least a portion of the, uh, the group. The and is there an option? I know it's not a recommended option, but is there an option to not do the exterior and just do utilities to just keep the building kind of not freezing uh, or overheating or whatever? I can't say we've put that option together. Um, you know, I think with all of these, you know, we could probably come up with a sort of an infinite number of options. But at, at, to date, I don't think we've done one where we just exclude the exterior. I, I'll show you here. Let me just go back. Again, I, I didn't do this breakdown for every option, but and um, not to spoiler alert, but, you know, we're going to recommend option three, which I think is already in the, in the report. But, uh, so, we're all surprised. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, sorry. So, uh, but this is generally the. So I'm I'm pushing for option zero at this point yeah. to understand what okay. our range of options are. Yeah, yeah. So um, on on option three, um, and and I'll get back to option one. But option three, um, we're breaking down the just the construction portion into bigger terms like systems, exterior, interior and just the general fees and contingencies that we carry on a project. So um, the systems include heating the building, cooling the building, replacement of all the electrical work, lighting, um, and including fire protection and fire alarm systems, most of all of which, nearly all of which are beyond their, their useful life. The exterior would be the roof, uh, the historic windows, the masonry, and any sort of site work that might need to be done. Uh, interior is the architectural program, meaning adjusting the, the functions um, to be a little more efficient than they currently are, mm -hmm. as well as addressing historic preservation issues. And, and right now that's split, like 5.1 million is roughly split half between those two items, between preservation and architectural um, remodel. And then there's hazardous material removal, which is roughly $300,000. And then there's general fees, uh, general, general issues, I should say, like there's a, there's a design contingency because right now we're at a conceptual stage. As you get more definitive about your design, your contingency will go down and presumably end up in system, you know, the, the categories above, systems interior and, and exterior. But what I was going to say is if you were to take this same sort of approach and look at option one, 
um, I think you could sort of generally do the math that, yep. um, you know, you take out the exterior. <laughs> there's a portion that would come out. Now, of course, I think there's some, some elements that, you know, you'd have to say have to be done, like the roof, you know. I and think that's the point that uh, uh, all the marbles initially making in terms of this five million dollar estimate that what, he, what was described as systems for 7.3 million dollars seems to be very much like your option one here it's 7.3 million but when it's described as option one it's 15 million well well we've got so if you take 7.3 and then you add in 3.75 which had the exterior on it here, let me go. Let me go back real well, quick. Let me go back real quick. Yeah, yeah. So look, if if we just go back diagrammatically again, so the green and the blue are the exterior items. So there's a roughly a 3.75 million dollar cost associated with that. Um, it looks very diagrammatic here, but you know, there's the windows, the historic windows, um, are not an a simple thing to address out of this whole project. Probably one of the more complicated items to address. Um, then the mechanicals, even though, you know, the straight mechanical cost is, let's say, 7 point, I think we said 7.5 million, 7.3 million, there will be some amount of associated interior work. I mean, if you were to say we've got to replace mechanicals above the ceiling, you'd be hard-pressed to leave the ceiling in place without full replacement. Contractors, as they work, they're going to damage the walls. You know, you're going to have to get some wall work done. The floors will be damaged in some instances, so you'd have to. So there will be some interior work. I know it, sound, it seems like through the diagram there's not, but there's a cost associated with that. Is that sort of explained? Okay. <coughs> um, yes. In option three, you had sort of, uh, was it 1.7 million for moving and. Um, oh, sorry, space? you want to go to the. Here you go, yep. yeah. Yeah, uh, 1.7. Yes. So um, I guess, you know, it seems to me, you know, that's obviously everyone, no one wants to spend 1.7 million, but we're doing that right now on, say, the fire building because the admin is at 30 West Wash yes. or West Mifflin or whatever it is. Um, so I'm wondering, what, are there any better options for that? I mean, because I assume you went through this stuff, and, and can all these pieces be put back together, or are we going to be, like, if we were to buy or build an office building somewhere else first, move people into that, and then have an empty building that people weren't coming back to necessarily, would that be a better option than to just move people out and move people back in? I mean, I don't know. You, you went through all that, those space. I mean, like, or for instance, this building. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. if you waited, not that we should, but if we wait for the Dane County to vacate the jail and remodel the sixth and seventh floor and put offices up there, is that a better, programmically, better sequence? Not that oh. the jail is going yeah. to happen anytime soon, but for instance. Right. Yeah, I think a um, bit of a good segue. I, Natalie has some information on the notion, you know, if I think I understood your question correctly, maybe there's some other scenarios out there potentially. So if 
If the city was to vacate this property as, as one scenario, is that, is that what I think you're no, suggesting? No, no, not okay. vacate. I'm just sort of, I mean, I, I mean, you, you, we're obviously trying to, but I know that we've, we've programmatically looked at, I mean, you can't, you can't do all this stuff and necessarily have the same space. And so if we were to create some new spaces oh. first, right. move people in those, and would that reduce the costs for the move and the temporary spaces by creating the new spaces first before we yeah. work on a full-scale remodel of the MMB? Yeah, so, I mean, it, I guess right now, if I understand correctly, we don't, we don't really have the capacity in the city county building to sort of reorganize it, move folks from the MMB into those spaces without displacing the folks that are already in the CCB, meaning we don't have excess capacity in the city county building to house massive municipal building staff on a temporary basis, to my knowledge. I mean, unless there's a hidden... And I wasn't actually talking about temporary. I was talking about permanent. Yeah, yeah, or even even that. I, at some point, if you look at... Let's just say there was a there was a, a, more of a massive, I'd call it, swapping of tenants between the mass municipal building and the city county building. Um, I don't think we ever knew of a scenario where one of those groups was not temporarily relocated. Okay. keep notes of yes. some of them yes. and I don't know how much longer your presentation is and I don't want you to run out of time yeah. so should we hold our questions till the end yeah, I think we've got till 615 is that correct 615 so I, th I think we can wrap it up in the next 15 minutes okay why um, don't we do that and then yeah, we yeah. can barrage you with sure. questions yeah, yeah, absolutely. all right thanks so let's just uh, I, I just wanted to get through this slide really quickly so uh, the importance of this slide is just to indicate that uh, the systems are very high cost to, to the project, so is the exterior. Um, and then when you get to the interior, um, there is, uh, of course, some cost associated with restructuring some of the spaces within that building, so architectural remodeling, bringing the spaces up to more current standards. But there's also a large uh, dollar value associated with the restoration, primarily to room 260, but some of the other public spaces as well that, uh, uh, that are requ requiring historic restoration. And then just the fact that we are at a conceptual level now, and then you'll see soon that we'll, we're going to have a recommendation to proceed in schematic design. This will build, we'll build on this, and it will become more specific as, as we go through that process. Um, and then that general number, which is currently 21%, will come down somewhat, and then you'll see that factored back into the three items above. Um, and then just, again, to just uh, highlight here that we recognize there's a, a currently in a, a capital budget, adopted budget. Um, you know, we, we honor that budget, and, uh, but we have a number of big things that have to fit within that number. And um, uh, we often get caught talking just about construction costs. There's a larger set of costs associated with a project of this, of this magnitude. So again, uh, recognizing that this, this is a project of a large magnitude, um, we did sort of look conceptually at, uh, or actually worked with Natalie Urban to look conceptually at what, it, what do you do if you, uh, is there an option out there that if, if the city's just to vacate the mass municipal building, sell it, uh, rent it, what, 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 what have you, 
what does that look like? So we, we, uh, had Nat, we worked with Natalie, and she put a little scenario together uh, to present um, to folks tonight. With that, I'll turn it over to Natalie. Just push down the arrow. So this is not information that was done with an estimator. It was really information that I put together, rule of thumb, recent information we had in the market, talking to some people who have built office space recently, et cetera. So this is not uh, set in stone, but it really was just to give us an idea of what an alternative might look like. Um, theoretically, if we were to vacate MMB and build new space, um, we would need to buy land to, to do that. In reality, the most likely thing would be actually to build on the backside of MMB on the vacant land or on the 105 block, which we own. And this analysis doesn't look at lost opportunity costs if we were to do that. So if we were to say we needed to be in this general area, the most likely space is on, on land that we own. And instead of having a three-story building that was sitting on 43,000 square feet of land, we'd probably say, let's do a six-story building that's sitting on 22,000 square feet of land, so you're not taking up as much land with your space. And so I factored in a land value. Um, I used an appraisal that was done in February of 2014 that said the land on the backside of MMB is worth $150 a square foot. Um, I had no reason to argue with that, so I said 22,000 square feet of land um, at $150, $150 a foot for the land value. On the construction cost, we used $200 a square foot. That's finished space, so it's not white box space. Um, it would be ready for us to move in, so there wouldn't be additional finish on top of that. We also have 40 um, fleet spaces, parking spaces on the back of MMB, and we would want to keep those. And so the likely thing would be instead of spreading them out on the surface, if you only had 22,000 square feet of land, you'd put them underneath. And so I assumed a cost of, uh, per space um, to build that parking or replace that parking that we have now. And design and engineering fees using rules of thumb set by the state. Um, I assumed a LEED certification and enhanced commission beca commissioning because that's what we're assuming for the MMB building. Um, uh, factoring in a contingency of 8%, which is a public bid contingency, and then added the FF&E. So in this case, we wouldn't have to move out of the space, move back into the space. You'd build a new building and you would move in, and MMB would be vacant. So that took us down to when you added up all those um, ancillary items to a cost of about $24 million to reproduce 72,000 square feet of space um, for us to be in, just to give you a general idea. That's today's number. So if we grew those numbers, we didn't build until next year. We had to add 3% for inflation. Um, and I think Brian's numbers were using 72,500 square feet. Those adjustments take us up to about $24.5 million um, to build a new building. In terms of what, so the thought is if you built a new building and you could or you wanted to sell M&B, what is M&B worth? And how much could you sell it for? And the easy answer is we had it appraised in 2015 and it came, or 2014, and the appraised value came out at $5,875,000. 
What you don't see without reading the appraisal is that the appraisal says that the appraiser went through the building and looked at it, and he's not an engineer and he's not a building inspector, and so it looked in pretty good order to him. No deferred maintenance, no serious structural issues, no hazardous materials. And if you had significant deferred maintenance or hazardous materials, that would affect your value. And so we know, after doing the studies that we've done, that the, the heating, cooling, um, and the electrical are past their useful life, are cu currently causing us issues, um, and those need to be replaced. And so I pulled a number from Brian's studies for the estimation of what it would take to replace those systems. I also added the roof. I noticed that in Brian's um, breakdown, he also had in there the fire protection system. Um, and so when he had the HVAC and electrical and fire protection, he had a $7.3 million number. I didn't pick up that fire protection. So there's some, you know, if somebody were buying it and they came in and said your roof is shot, your boiler is shot, your chiller is shot, your electrical system is ready to set a fire, they're going to discount the value. And you can see here pretty easily you get to 5 to $6 million of discount. And so, therefore, it would tell you that somebody who came in to buy this building today would say, yeah, you know, I'm going to discount the appraised value um, to a dollar, you know, to, to something that's relatively um, low. There's a second way of looking at the value of the building, which is, and, and the appraisal covers this as well, if a private developer came in and bought that building for $5.8 million and put in $25 million to take it up to um, a, a Class A, B standard, and used state historic and federal, actually used federal historic tax credits to help pay for it. Given the debt and equity that they would have to take out, they would need to lease that space for $36 per square foot triple net. And to give you a comparable downtown, the Anchor Bank building, when it's redone, they're saying they're going to lease that at $22 triple net. So that's a unrealistic probably for somebody to invest that money even with the historic credits and then get a rent in the marketplace that makes sense. So just a number of ways to kind of look at this to say that the MMB building in and of itself today probably doesn't generate a lot of um, value to the city if it were to be sold. That doesn't take into account any of the public benefits um, of having a historic building that in a civic use continues to be open to the public, have people be able to see uh, the historic structure, having a historic asset that we've owned um, brought back up to a level that it really contributes to the civic plaza. And so those public benefits are things that you as policymakers um, would need to take a look at. Okay. I'm Rob Phillips, the city engineer. So uh, Brian already spoiled my part of the presentation, but I'll try and try and go on. Um, no action is just not a, a real good option, in my opinion, as city engineer and as someone who deals with our maintenance staff on a regular basis. The uh, the the new infrastructure, the boiler that's there and the chillers, those are 40 plus years old. We use the 1929 boiler as a, as a backup uh, boiler, still in the building, uh, still being used. Uh, obviously, uh, Gene and, and the others and Natalie uh, and Brian talked about a lot of these things, but it's just, 
it's not just one piece of, of, of uh, the building system. It's all of the building systems. So in my opinion, do nothing is not a viable option. Um, I want to emphasize, uh, although it's been talked about, I want to emphasize that MMB can be efficient, modern office space. They've, it's been done in other places. Uh, it's, it, it will look different than it looks. Walls will be taken out. It will be respectful of the historic uh, building. Uh, if you go and tour the education building, if any of you have had a chance to do that, uh, you'll see where they have areas that are very uh, true to its historic uh, nature and other areas that are, are quite modern actually have drop ceilings and things in them. So it can uh, and will work if, uh, if the council should choose to go this way. So um, really, after doing this analysis, uh, option three uh, becomes the clear choice um, from, from our analysis. Uh, option one at, at almost $16 million uh, is, is, is a lot of money to spend only to uh, have the interior essentially the same as it is today. So uh, I don't think the public would be, uh, would be uh, pleased with that result. And uh, a lot was talked about earlier about, uh, about that number and whether that number could be, could be less. But, uh, you know, I, I, I can't see replacing all the mechanicals and then not, not ensuring that you have a, a roof that's not going to leak or not taking care of the, uh, the outside of the building. So what do you, what do you delete from this, from this option? Uh, I can't see not doing the electrical. That's a, that's a, a fire hazard. Um, would we not do the, uh, the sprinkler system? I, I, I'm not sure. Would we not do the windows? Because the windows are rusting. So I'm not sure what we would, would delete. And I just want to bring that up. Option two, obviously, um, at, at the same price as option three, actually phase one of option two, the same price as option three is obviously a no-brainer. That, that doesn't make, uh, make sense. So it comes down to option three being the clear uh, choice. And our recommendation for you this evening, as Brian has already pointed out, uh, is uh, to hire the um, design firm to proceed with the schematic design phase of the project at approximately a half a million dollars, the schematic design phase. Um, I want everybody to understand where the schematic design phase fits in in the overall uh, process. Uh, the schematic design is an, is an early part of the design. Uh, it's followed by uh, design development, which uh, uh, goes into more detail on the, on the uh, programming and costs. Uh, those two uh, phases, schematic design and design development, have the majority of the uh, public involvement uh, in, the, uh, in the work. And then it goes to construction documents, and that's full speed ahead now. You've made the, the key decisions, most of the key decisions, and uh, as, as to uh, how the building is going to fu uh, function and, and the room layout and whatnot, and it's just full speed ahead to, uh, to prepare those documents and then construction bidding and, and uh, construction administration. And uh, there, are, there will be decision points along the way on each of these. So the council, 
Um, we will ask the council to uh, the mayor and common council to approve the schematic design uh, phase of this project, but there will be decision points at design development and uh, and at, at construction. So more decision points to come. Uh, this is how it, it fits into the overall uh, time frame. You'll see we're in 2015 with uh, uh, hopefully schematic design. Uh, design will continue in 2016 with the uh, bidding in 2016 and construction in 2017 and, and uh, 2018 occupancy of the building in uh, 2019. So that's kind of how the schedule works out. Um, the uh, schematic uh, design would be approved uh, on this. Um, hopefully, if uh, if the uh, council wishes, um, middle of June, and the uh, actual uh, design process would begin at that time and continue through uh, mid-November, which corresponds with. Uh, uh, the uh, adoption of the capital budget. So the hope is that we'll have more information to inform the Common Council on the capital budget uh, uh, when that is before you. Um, and uh, there will be more confidence uh, moving forward. So just showing you the uh, what's in the uh, current uh, budget that's been adopted for 2015 and beyond. Uh, these are the numbers uh, that, that lay out to get that uh, just under $30 million that uh, was showed earlier. So um, that's it. I just uh, I would just uh, conclude by saying that uh, in uh, the 1970s, the Common Council made a, a very, very important decision in uh, in purchasing the mass and municipal building, and uh, and the council is faced with that uh, decision again today. Uh, this is a, a monumental building and a, a monumental decision. Um, I'm I'm the city engineer, and I'm only supposed to provide you the facts. Uh, the fact of the matter is that it is it is a very special building. Um, you can't you can't recreate it. You can't. Uh, you can't uh, go build. You can't sell it uh, tomorrow and then decide you want one just like it. it you can't. This, this city would never be able to afford to build it. Middleton can't have it. Sun Prairie can't have it. You've got it. <laughs> so it is a it is a big, a big decision. Uh, we're we're all here available to answer questions. Yep. All the clear. Probably a question for Brian, but you can take a shot if you want. Uh, so the um, the 72,000 square feet that we need, um, how does that compare to what we have now with the annex, but without the post office and the credit union space? Go ahead, Brian. Um, okay, so so okay, the annex, the building with the annex included, so the loading dock that comes off perpendicular off the back, right. is a total of 79,000 square feet. If we take the annex off, we're down to 72.5. If we take the post office out, it's probably down to it's another 5,000 roughly. Um, so what is that, 67, five? Okay. Um, and then the credit union is kind of like a enlarged closet. It's not very big, so um, you know maybe it takes down to 62,000. So. Um, so now, now, 72 now, takes into account 
those, two, those three other uses, essentially. Uh, correct. No, 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 excuse me. It only takes into account taking out the annex. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, uh, well, let's put it this way. In the annex, there are meeting rooms. If the, and there's actually some office space in there for the housing. So we would, you know, it probably would, it probably would get down to 725. I'd have to do that number. But, yeah, you're right. Because then ultimately, um, uh, you know, if we went to someplace else, we most likely wouldn't take the postal service. But that probably would be displaced by the fact that we would need to, to uh, recover the meeting room space that we lost in the annex as well as the, the office space that we lost in the annex. So it's probably a, it ends up at 725 roughly, you know. Okay. But it seems to me you've talked about in previous presentations about working efficiencies that you would gain in the full rehab. Correct. That make even the building without, without the annex on board being more efficient and being able to handle the programming needs that we need. Correct. Correct, even if we don't get the, the post office space back. Yeah, so I think if, it, it, like, for, for instance, with, with Natalie's evaluation, you know, we were using the number 725. Um, could we get down to 60,000 or maybe 55,000 potentially? Probably. Um, but then we would have, you know, we, we would have to get into that and determine what does that mean we're giving up? Do we, if we go into a building someplace else or build something somewhere else, does that mean that we uh, eliminate some things that might be considered inefficient, like public meeting room space? Um, like apparent, or obviously like room 260 doesn't get used all day long. It's somewhat argued that it's inefficient, but it's also a very nice space um, that could be used for many different types of activities. So does something like that get eliminated in a different building, or do you try to one-for-one one try to make a space just as large in a new, new facility? So I think, yes, if you were just to take straight office space, right, and just eliminate everything else, assume you're in a building that maybe has a central plant that, we, that the city doesn't even control, you probably could get that number down to straight office in the 50,000 square foot range, but of course you're giving up, you know, public meeting room space. Um, if you do indeed have to control your own physical plant, so to speak, you would have to have space for that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. that would all be before us if we were to investigate that some, you know, further. Right. Yeah. Right. But even using Natalie's number of 334 dollars a square foot. The, the full rehab option, if I'm doing my math right, is about 420 bucks a square foot. Is that yeah, right? I think we came up with 412, but yeah, if you did the math now, maybe. Uh, maybe yeah. it's uh, 412, yeah, so, but then, again, uh, one uh, distinction I, I just want to make sure that nobody leaves with is that's not just construction costs, because a lot of times people talk about square foot, per square foot costs, and all they're talking about is construction. When we do our per square foot cost, and maybe we're the only people in the world that do this, but we include every single item that we think will go into the total project cost because we don't want to come back to everybody in the end and say, well, yeah, we were in the budget, but it was only the construction portion that was in the budget. Well, there's a reason for that yeah. because of, of um, when we borrow, it doesn't go towards our levy limit, right? So for, for, for projects that the city does, all of those things that you could say might be an operating expense, we're putting into a capital expense. We're putting into the capital project. So that's why move, temporary lease, some of these things that might, you know, maybe the private sector would consider not part of the capital, we do. And mm -hmm. that's right. Okay. Thank you. Um, and then in your, in all three scenarios, does the annex come off? Uh, you described? 
In any three. scenario, yeah. In okay. any scenario, I think, uh, yeah. Right. It, 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 particularly in option one through three, but um, I think any scenario the city is going to pursue in the near future, if it indeed pursues some of the development options that we certainly have to leave. Okay. And I don't know whether you've had time to review the four proposals that we have for the, the JDS project, but do any of them have any effect on uh, any of the options for MMB? Um, My initial reading of, of them was... One of the three was, does, yeah. Okay. So. But I haven't reviewed all four. I okay. just reviewed three of the four. So. Natalie might. Yeah, yeah. And we're, I'm, we're, yeah, I'm probably the, spent more time with them than, yeah. than you guys have. There's probably no comment on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes? How does the City Channel Move and Remodel project relate to these plans? Uh, go ahead, yeah. Um, so... Regardless of what scenario happens, we needed to move City Channel out for City Channel reasons. They needed to be closer to basically IT. And I think the city will see efficiencies having IT and City Channel closer to each other. But clearly, I don't know if you made your way up to where City Channel is and gone back into that area. Um, where City Channel's offices are is, I think, one of the nicest places in MMB that could be a wonderful suite for, um, for an agency. Right now, it's just, it's just one of the most woolly, underutilized places in MMB, period, right? It's storage right now um, with a couple of staff. Um, so that is a really separate um, issue because of how City Channel and IT are really starting to you know, collaborate more together. I mean, obviously, they're one agency, so they're really trying to share resources more. And what, what's the timeline for that? Um, that project for City Channel will be going to the uh, Board of Public Works for approval of plans and specs, I believe, tomorrow. Oh, okay. Any other questions? All right, well, we finished four minutes early, so we'll hang around if anybody wants to have a chat with any of us. Thank you so much. We appreciate coming. Go Badgers. <laughs>